Today on the Lazy RPG Talk Show, I'm going to show you how you can add hundreds of free awesome tokens that represent core fantasy 5e monsters to Albear Rodeo. Outstanding, outstanding accessory. It's going to be really cool. We're going to talk about Scott Gray's Core 20 role-playing game, which is now in testing. You can download the three core books for it and test out this awesome new system. Our big topic today is going to be doing a 2023 retrospective and looking ahead at what is going to be coming up in 2024 in the world of tabletop role-playing games. And we have more questions from the December 2023 Patreon Q&A all today on the Lazy RPG Talk Show. I'm Mike Shea, your pal from Sly Flourish, here to talk about all things in tabletop role-playing games. This show, like all of the work of Sly Flourish, is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. Later in the show, I'm going to show you a couple of really cool new things that patrons get. The patrons get all kinds of stuff. Exclusive adventures, exclusive previews of products, the City of Arches sourcebook, Uncovered Secrets Volume 1 and 2, a dedicated Discord server, the Q&A, all kinds of stuff you get for being a patron of Sly Flourish. To the patrons of Sly Flourish, thank you so much for your support. Level Up Advanced 5e. I've been talking a lot about Level Up Advanced 5e. This is from EN World Publishing. It is a variant of 5th edition. Really, really cool. I love the Monstrous Menagerie. I'm getting, I'm working towards having my players switch over to the A5e Player's Guide, and we're going to try it for or the Adventure's Guide, and we're going to try it for our next campaign. Really excited about it. One of the things that EN World Publishing put out, which is incredible, and I rediscovered it on my... I rediscovered it in my like library, my digital library of things is a Monstrous Menagerie VTT tokens pack that you can download for free from DriveThruRPG. This uses artwork from the Monstrous Menagerie for all of the standard core monsters that you would find in 5e, whether you're using the, the Dungeons and Dragons monster manual or whether you're using the Monstrous Menagerie, or any of the common typical monsters that you see for fifth edition, they are included in this. It has 170 different monster tokens. So last week I did a video also about Albert Rodeo, particularly Albert Rodeo 2.0. And what I thought was cool is how you can use these two things together. And we're going to show how to do that today. So this is Albert Rodeo. You can find albert.rodeo is the URL. You can find a link into the show notes. If you want to learn more about Albert Rodeo, I have linked to my Albert Rodeo for Lazy GMs video where I talk more about it. We're not going to focus on all the features today. We're only going to focus on adding a lot of tokens to our game because it's really, really cool. So I've, I'm using my demonstration profile that I have. I only have the one room here for it. And I'm going to go into that room just so I have a place to go. And I'm going to go into the tokens section. So I've already downloaded the tokens from uh, the Monsters Menagerie on uh, DriveThruRPG. So I have that locally on my machine. I'm going to go to my monster tokens here. And I am going to, in the collections, I'm going to click the plus and I'm going to create a new collection called A5E. So I have a new collection in there that's empty, right? An empty collection. And then I'm going to click add. It has the starter set, but we're going to go to new. And it says click or drag to, up, to, to upload. I'm going to click the upload. I'm going to go to my downloads folder where I have all of the tokens, the 175 tokens. I'm selecting them all. You can't see this because it's not going to show the windows where I'm manipulating things. But I selected them all because you can upload them all at once. And you click open. And it brings them on here. Now, here's the key. A couple of keys. One is the default text. You want it to copy image name. 
and I selected a font size and I'm going to select the font size of 36 because I think that I think that looks good size. We're going to do auto. You want to make sure to get all these settings because you're about to upload 170 tokens. So you want to make sure that you get all your settings right. So when you click import, you're not going to import things. And go, oh, I got to do it again because that'd be a big pain. So the copy image name, the font family. Uh, visibility, we're going to make them visible. Locked, we're not going to worry about that. Size auto, rotation no, font size 36, font family. What this is going to do is put the name of the monster underneath the token. Now, you might decide you don't want to do that because you want to name each token when you're using them. But it can help you on searching. So then you click import and bang, it starts bringing them in. Look at them all go. 170 new tokens in Albear in, at once, all for free. I'm using the free version of Albear Rodeo, and I downloaded the tokens for free. So you can get all of these accessories, tokens plus tokens plus the, the virtual tabletop, all for free. That said, you should support your RPG creators. If you find yourself using Albear Rodeo a lot, definitely consider subscribing to it. You get to have more rooms. You get to customize those rooms. You get more space to serve all of this stuff. I don't know actually how much space I'm going to have in the free tier. For all I know, they might they might not not hold it. Oh, look, they're, they're coming in. Oh, here they all come. Oh, we're so close, zombie. Get, get a little zombie. There, we got the zombie. And also pick up the Monstrous Menagerie. One thing is like the, mon the, the monsters from the A5V, the Level Up Advanced 5V Monstrous Menagerie, you're like, oh, well, they're available online. You can get them in Mike's Monster Tool. You can get them in these other places. The book itself has so much more than just the monster stat blocks. It's got knowledge checks. So you can tell your players information about the monster when they roll particular checks. It has encounters that show which monsters are related to which other monsters for particular encounters at different challenge ratings. It's got treasure parcels. So you can have treasure automatically. There's so much stuff that comes in the Monsters Menagerie that isn't available as part of their open gaming content. So even though you can get the monster stat blocks and various tools and stuff like that, it's still really worth buying the book. So even though all this stuff is free, buy the book, subscribe to Albert Rodeo. It's really good. So now I have an A5V section in my monster tokens that has all of these tokens. And they're really cool looking tokens. They're very, very they're not, they're not overdone. They're not, they don't have like big borders or big crazy stuff on it. The artwork is really cool. That's all great, but it's a lot of tokens, right? The cool bit is you can search on it. So you can say Balor and you get Demon Balor right there and you can just drag them right onto your map, right? And now I've got a Balor. You can resize them if you want them to be, you know, different sizes. You can do the whole uh, option click to get multiple ones. Let's turn the, let's turn the Fog of War off. And all the tokens are in this list here, but you don't have to, you can click here and just have your default token. So the nice thing about setting up a separate collection of them is they're not going to crud up all of your other tokens. You don't want to necessarily have one big batch with 175 tokens in it. You really want that one just for that set. So that's why you set up that collection ahead of time. But lots of different, and as you can see, like when I did a search for Balor, I pulled up all these other ones. You can have Tarask, right? And a cool Tarask token that you can drop right on. That guy's really big. So I think this is just awesome. I think that it's a really, really great way to get a whole bunch of tokens for free that you can drop right into your game. The search works really well because the, f the names are all, all right. So you can just do a search. Oh, look at that Dread Knight. That Dread Knight is awesome. Boy, we have a, this is a battle. How would you like to be in this fight? Two Balors, a Tarask, a Dread Knight, and let's have like four whites. I think those whites are a little outmatched. I keep holding down the thing. I keep making more whites. 
right? Really cool. So I thought that was a really cool trick. Again, you can get the tokens from DriveThruRPG. There's a link in the show notes. You can also check out Albert Rodeo and my tutorial for Albert Rodeo. And now you know how to add these tokens into Albert Rodeo so you have for free like 170 monster tokens for all of the typical monsters you would find in your 5e fantasy role-playing games. My friend and colleague, Scott Fitzgerald Gray, who's done all of the editing for my books for like, God, I don't know how long, 10 years or so. Really awesome dude. Fantastic designer, fantastic editor, a real one of the real treasures in the whole TTRPG industry. I'm very, very fortunate to both work with him and to have him as, as my as a friend. And he has a new RPG. It's not new to him. He's actually been using this for a long time, but he's finally been putting together all of his ideas for a role-playing game that he is calling Core 20, the Core 20 RPG system. And he has enough of it now that he has packaged it up all together and made it available for free for you to try out and to see this system. So the core concepts of Core 20 is that it is a classless, levelless system. That it still is a D20-based system. You're still rolling a D20. You're still doing all the basic stuff. But you build your character from a whole series of packages, which are sort of like feats. It's sort of like having whole piles of feats that you bring in to build the character you want to build in any different direction. There are, there are packages of these. So if you decide that you want to fit a particular archetype and you don't want to do all the homework of having to figure out every single one, you can grab onto one of those packages and build a character really quickly. But if you really want to customize your character in lots of new ways, you pull these in. Instead of leveling, you earn new uses of these various collections and feats. So if you want to grow in a particular area, you can pick them. The feats are, it's sort of like a massive talent tree. If you're used to video games that have like huge talent trees where you're sort of building your characters out from the different talents that you pick. That's similar to how core 20 works and they are in a tree so that you can't earn. You can, you can take feats multiple times in certain circumstances to grow something to, to make, to make something grow more in a linear fashion. You can also uh, have prerequisites that in order to take one feat, you have to have picked up a previous feat. So it's a really cool system. You can download the whole thing. There's a link in the show notes to the blog article where he talks about it and to the direct download for the Google drive where you can pick up all of the different packages. It includes a player's guide, GM guide, a magic grimoire, and creature playtest packets. So you have everything that you need in order to try this game out and see it works. There is an about, a four-page about that talks about what's in this game, what it's about, why, what current state it's in, what his plans are for it. So really, really neat. And all available to check out for free. So you can find a link in the show notes for his article. The, the name of the blog article is Taking Things to the Next Tier. And you can read the Core 20 RPG blog to learn more about what he's doing with it. And you can download it and see the current state of it yourself. So very, very cool. Very, very proud of him for putting this out here. And I can't wait to see where it goes. It looks really cool. Patrons of Sly Flourish, as I mentioned, get access to all kinds of different tools. I'm always experimenting with new tools, new ways to try things out. I've got stuff like the Sly Flourish random generator where you can build PCs around particular campaign settings. You can build monuments, you can build magic items, you can get treasure parcels you know, I've link, linked treasure parcels, all kinds of cool stuff like that. I've got the Forge of Foes monster stat tool. If you want stats for a monster at any challenge rating, you pick a challenge rating and it drops the stat block. It gives you a one line version. This was a request from a patron that there's a one line version of it that you can just copy and paste right into your notes, uh, including a list of monster features and conditions that you can add onto a character to kind of build them up into new ways. The Dyson map generator I talked about, not a generator, Dyson map 
gallery where you can get access to his commercially available, commercially licensed maps. So you can very quickly grab a map and use it in your game. I'm always trying to build new tools like this. And a new one, one that I had originally built in Notion and now have separated out into its own tool is the 5e Artisanal Monster Database. The 5e Artisanal Monster Database has more than 2,000 monsters from a whole bunch of different sources, including Level Up Advanced 5e, which I've been talking about now all show, Toma Beast 1, 2, and 3, and the Creature Codex from Kobold Press. So 2,000 different monsters, including core monsters from open from core monsters from the Monsters Menagerie, and then a lot of advanced monsters or different monsters from the various the three tomes of beasts and the Creature Codex. All of the data for this was made available by Open5. I brought it in and put it into a very streamlined database where, again, you can type Balor very fast, super quick, where you can type in a search Solar. We'll do Darakul. And you can get all the stat blocks for them. When you click on any one of these, it goes to a static HTML rendered version of the stat page. It is mobile friendly. It looks good on your phone. It looks good on a PC. And you can copy and paste it if you want. You can grab the whole stat block right out of here and paste it directly into your notes. But there is also a markdown version. So you can click the markdown version and drop it into your Obsidian notes or your Notion notes if you're using either one of those. And it will render nicely in your notes package if it knows markdown. So that's all available. The other advantage of this Artisanal Monster Database is that you can download the entire database. So you, with this one click, you will download a zip file. The zip file, I, I'll actually show you. I'll click the zip file. It's downloading. Downloads very quickly. I go to my downloads directly directory. I unpack it. I now have a 5e monsters directory. In that directory, I have one called index.html. And look, now it looks slightly different, right? It, you, know, you saw that the font changed a little bit. This is the local version of the same database. I can still click on any of these monsters and get them, but they're all coming from a local version. So you don't need to trust that I'm going to keep the monster database up for all time. You can download your own version and you can run it on your own computer with a web browser. You will always have these 2000 monsters. As long as you are keeping track of those files, you know that you have that database. More than 2000 5e monsters that you can have in this whole thing. Now, it isn't well known, but those other tools I showed, including including the random generator, the Forge of Foes stats, and the Dyson maps, is all of those are downloadable as well. You can download those services, keeping them on your local machine, run them without an internet connection, or make sure that you have your own copy in case you're worried that I'm not going to keep them up. This is just a piece of some of the stuff that I offer on the Sly Flourish Patreon. So there's lots of different tools out there, lots of different, all, all kinds of stuff. You get tons of stuff for joining the Sly Flourish Patreon. But if you want to check out the 5e Artisanal Monster Database, if you want a downloadable, digital, structured version of the data so that you can use it in your notes, you can copy and paste it into OneNote, into Notion, into Obsidian, whatever. You can link to them directly too. You can, if you don't want to crud up your notes with the whole stat block, you can just link to them. Uh, and you can download the whole database so you have your own copy of it uh, running locally instead of having to keep me to keep it up. So that is the 5e artisanal monster database, a fun project that I worked on over Christmas. Who boy, 2023 was definitely a year right now. It is December 31st, 2023. By the way, I finished my Dungeon 23. Another Patreon feature is later in the week. Well, probably on Monday, if you're in the Discord server, you'll see it. Uh, and then I'll probably post it later. Uh, I did Dungeon 23. I did a Dungeon Room 
every day for 365 days. I missed a couple of days and then I went back and did two the next day. So it wasn't exactly perfect, but I made 365 rooms of a big mega dungeon every day for all of 2023. A handful of others, Richard Green, I know. Richard Green and I were both doing it. It was really cool to see it. That was really neat. But boy, lots of stuff happened in 2023. I thought it would be fun to take a look back over the past year and really dive into like what has happened in tabletop role-playing games. And a lot of stuff happened. For me personally, the entire hobby changed. And we're going to kind of examine that a little bit. I don't think, so I wrote a big list of all the things that have gone on in 2023. And I think by far the biggest thing that happened in 2023 was the entire OGL fiasco that occurred right at the beginning of the year. I think it actually, I don't want to say stuff like, oh, it made the whole industry better. I think it did, but like it was a really dark time too. I was very sad about this hobby that I love so much while that was going on. I, I felt really bad about it for a hobby that I've loved for like my whole adult life, like, you know, since I was like 14. So it was a dark month. It turned out pretty good that by releasing the 5.1 system resource document into the Creative Commons was as good an outcome as we could have hoped for. That was really, really good. And it, it made a change to for me and how I look at the industry in a really big way. And they weren't the only ones who put out game systems under a Creative Commons license or under open licenses. Level Up Advanced 5e, EN World Publishing, I've, I've been talking about them all show. I've been talking to them for many shows. They actually did a couple of things. They went back through all of the material they had published for Level Up Advanced 5e, talked to their lawyers about it, and built their own Creative Commons version of Level Up Advanced 5e that doesn't even use the 5.1 SRD. So that means there are two independent sources for fifth edition style material, fifth edition compatible material that we can use. And the Level Up Advanced 5e one is four times bigger, I think maybe five times bigger than the amount of stuff that is available in the 5.1 SRD. But that's not even the only one. We also have Black Flag which is uh, Cobalt Press's fifth edition system that they are going to be putting out under the Orc license. We also have the creation of the Orc license, a whole new license that was developed by uh, lawyer, independent, an independent law firm funded by Paizo to put together a new license that serves the same role that the open gaming license uh, used to serve, which was a... Uh, viral, they call it a viral license where you can release some of your stuff, but anything that any downstream producer has to use the license from the upstream provider. I'm, I'm still a bigger fan of the creative commons, the CC by license, the CC by 4.0 license, which says this stuff is available to use in, in commercial works and derivatives and everything else. And you don't need to necessarily follow the license of the upstream producer. So I, that's the one I prefer, but it still opened up a lot of different materials for a lot of different use in different areas of the RPG. That was a huge, huge thing that happened at the beginning of this year. And like I said, completely changed how I look at the hobby. For me, the big difference now is I look at 5e as an independent gaming platform, an independent tabletop role-playing game platform that we can use for all different kinds of things. And 
to me, it is now separate from Dungeons and Dragons, that there is still Dungeons and Dragons. There are still the 2014 core books for Dungeons and Dragons. There's still products released under the Dungeons and Dragons brand. And of course, we have the 2024 D&D books that are coming out next year. Those are one variant of fifth edition. And now we have other variants of fifth edition that are going to come out. We have Level Up Advanced 5e. We have Tales of the Valiant. We have Core C7 D20 from Cubicle 7 and others that are producing their own standalone versions. Even MT Black has created his own standard version of a player's handbook for his Iskandar setting that's based on the 5.1 SRD. Shadow Dark RPG is using the Creative Commons license of the 5.1 SRD to develop Shadow Dark. So we have a whole bunch of games that are expanding out on this thing, which means the hobby really is no longer under the control or the venue of any one single company. Now, of course, there is a dominant company that dominates it by like 99% or very, very high percentage. But it kind of doesn't matter because all of the rest of these things are still independent. And my hope and my dream, we'll talk about what I've talked about before. My hope and my dream for what I want Hasbro to be doing with D&D is to bring new people into the hobby so that they can see how widespread it is. That's what I'm really excited about. Also, Hasbro had a layoff at the end of the year. That is, to me, is a really big impact of what's happened this year. This only just happened a few weeks ago. I talked about it on my last show a lot about what that means. The big thing that it means for me is that I really don't see a difference between Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro. There are definitely D&D, there's definitely the D&D design team. And I know that the D&D design team in their hearts wants to make awesome games and awesome products for a hobby that they have loved, whether they, whether they were working for Hasbro or not working for Hasbro. But I think a lot of the big top level direction about what's happening with Dungeons and Dragons is coming from on high. And I think the OGL thing might have been because of that. We think the drive towards a more digital platform, we've seen them talking about it in their shareholder statements. So that is a big difference and a big change. And what it meant for me is that like, you know, A, there is no difference between D&D and Hasbro and that they are trying to move D&D to be a digital brand. I talked about that all last week though. Hasbro only had a handful of releases of products this past year. There was lots of talk about the D&D 2024 books that are coming out. We saw tons and tons of playtests for that. Lots of people getting it. And the playtests, it's really good that they've been putting out all those playtests and we can see it. Some people are like, oh, that's really exciting. Some people are like, ah, I don't really don't like it. But at least we're seeing all of this stuff. And I, for one, believe that they are heading in the direction that we have seen. I don't think they have some secret plan about changing things at the last minute. I hear conspiracy theories like this, that there's going to be some secret plan. Everything's going to be different than what they'd say. But I see a system that looks like it's still compatible. So I'm, I'm interested in that. I would say, though, that the releases this year, if we think about when we talk about the impact that Hasbro has in the hobby, that their impact wasn't really that high other than the play tests, other than like the things I talked about, you know. The, the OGL fiasco definitely has a high impact. I think the layoffs are a very high impact. But when we think about it from a product perspective, there were basically four products that came out. There were Keys to the Golden Vault, Shattered Obelisk, Fandelver and Below, which is sort of a redo of the Lost Mine of Fandelver, the Planescape box set, and we had Big B's Glory of the Giants. I really liked Big B's Glory of the Giants. I thought it was an outstanding book. Is it a book that really had a significant impact on the design of 5e, like things that we've seen with 5e? And I gave my list of products that I thought were my top five favorite products from 2023. I did that in the last show. Big B's wasn't on that list. It's a fine book. Is it shaking up all of 5e in new ways like Flea Mortals did? 
I don't really think so. I mean, it's it's vain and arrogant of me to say it, but I think Forge of Foes, our book where we talk about monster design and offer alternatives for building monsters for your game, is a totally different way of looking at 5th edition than other products are. And Bigby's is a fine book. It is a much more usable book than I think the other three books are because they're mostly books of adventures. Once you've, if you like the adventures and if you run them, then you're kind of done with them. That's not really a high impact product uh, as far as I'm concerned. Bigby's is in the sense that you now have this book. If you ever need a book where you want to include lots of stuff about giants, you've got it. But that's a pretty niche product. Now, the Deck of Many Things, which is coming out early next year, was supposed to come out this year, but they had uh, manufacturing problems. It's coming out next year. That might be some radical stuff. I did take a look at the digital version of it. It looks like it has some interesting ideas, but I don't know if even that is going to be shaking up how the game is played. Now, obviously, I'm not talking about overall sales. Of course, sales of products, sales of Dungeons and Dragons products are much, much higher than the sales of almost any other product. But when I think about the impact to the larger hobby, when I think about not just the people who go to Target and buy a book and bring it home and play it, but when I think about those of us who are kind of looking at the wide version of this hobby and how it plays, there are so many interesting products that have come out this year that I think have had a, a higher impact. But two things that did have a very high impact. One was the D&D movie. I was definitely pessimistic about this movie. I did not think it was going to be a good movie. I felt like the odds were against it, A, because there have been bad D&D movies, and there wasn't anything about it that told me it was going to be a good movie. There wasn't anything that made me think, oh, well, that, you know, and typically the only thing that makes a good movie in my mind is writers and directors. Good writers, good directors who are left alone by the production studio and come up with good movies tend to come up with good movies. Actors don't matter. Theme doesn't matter. Intellectual property doesn't matter. It's who's actually in control of the creative work of the movie tends to be why a movie is good. And I didn't see anything that told me it was going to be good. And I was wrong. I was totally wrong the DD movie was really really good i loved it i've watched it a couple of times now very entertaining i've heard like guardians of the galaxy and DD. i think it really matches that i think the style is it's funny the writing is good it looked cool there wasn't any really dumb parts like i i felt like it was a really outstanding movie unfortunately i don't think it did particularly well and that makes me kind of sad like i i really would have loved the DD movie to have been a smash hit because this is the kind of stuff I think that Hasbro can do that no one else can do. And I know Hasbro wasn't the only one involved in putting out the movie, but they drove it pretty heavily. They, they put a lot into it. Obviously, there were many, many people who consulted on the movie to get details right. I really wish it was a smash hit because that's what brings people into the larger hobby. That's what makes people think, oh, D&D. Yeah, I play that. Oh, there's other things. Oh, there's these other systems. Oh, there's these other settings. There's all this stuff that we can use. We want Hasbro more than anybody else is the one that can bring people in. Then we have Baldur's Gate 3. Now, Baldur's Gate 3 has been in development for many years. It was in development so long that I bought the early access one back when I had a computer that could run it. And I don't have a computer that can run it anymore. <laughs> so I couldn't even play that one. I, had, I played it on my PlayStation 5 instead. Amazing game. I am 25 hours, 27 hours into my second playthrough. And I'm in really, really enjoying it. It was game of the year almost instantly. It came out in the latter part of the year. And I was at a table with people and everyone's like, well, what do we think the game of the year is going to be? And they're like, there's no doubt. It's Baldur's Gate 3 because it's really, really good. And I am hoping that Baldur's Gate 3, it is a, I think it is actually a pretty faithful representation of what D&D is like. I think it, if you squint, like you can get all bent out. Oh my God, you can cast Misty Step and Fireball in the same round. It's totally not D&D. Yeah, it doesn't play exactly like the rules are. In fact, sometimes it's got rules in there that are actually kind of cool and kind of better. 
where you almost wish you could get some of that stuff and use it in your home game. But it definitely still feels like D&D. And it gets people interested and excited about D&D and tabletop role-playing games. And hopefully they come in and hopefully we see them in the hobby. So I'm very glad how good Baldur's Gate 3 was. And I am hoping that that brings a lot of people a lot of people on board. So that was an interesting thing that happened this year as well. We have seen the release of fifth edition products being published by other publishers now released on D&D Beyond. So Darrington Press put up Taldorai Reborn and we have seen Dungeon Dudes and Ghostfire Gaming put up Dungeons of Drakenheim and Grim Hollow Lairs of Atheris by Ghostfire Gaming up on D&D Beyond. We kind of don't know what this means. Are they opening it up to lots of other publishers? Is it really only going to be select publishers? How exactly does that work? Definitely a big shift in what's been going on with D&D Beyond. Again, previous time I talked about it, my feelings that that doesn't necessarily, them adding other publishers to D&D Beyond doesn't necessarily make the hobby overall stronger and that that's something we should be a little bit concerned about. I'm a little bit concerned about it. It's certainly not anything like the OGL issue or anything like that, but, but definitely, but that has been pretty interesting that they, that they put it up there and we'll be interested to see what that's like in the future. So some other big stuff, we've seen other big role-playing games, Darrington Press, who put out Candela Obscura and Daggerheart. They, they haven't done Daggerheart yet. They announced Daggerheart, but we're going to see hopefully Daggerheart in 2024. That's a big deal because Critical Role is one of the main catalysts, not the main catalyst. And I don't know that we can pick any one main catalyst, but one of the reasons why we've seen a more of a higher popularity of fifth edition and of role-playing games is because of huge streaming shows like Critical Role. Really huge streaming shows like Critical Role and two or three others because there's a very steep curve on people that are watching it. But Daggerheart is their own story-focused long-term fantasy role-playing game. Are they going to switch over to that? What would that mean? That's a big that's a big question that's coming up. But they uh, announced it and Candle Obscura, a short session investigative sort of RPG is available now. There are a lot of huge crowdfunded campaigns kickstarter in my mind and this has been true not just this last year but in many years past the most interesting and exciting things happening in tabletop role-playing games and happening for fifth edition have been happening in crowdfunded campaigns we have seen some really really interesting things that have been going on in crowdfunding campaigns we have seen things like flea mortals we have seen things like the shadow dark rpg we've, we've seen these releases of major books that in my mind have really been taking an interesting look at how the hobby can be expanded. And I think crowdfunding campaigns fit that really well, where you have an idea for something like I want to do Kaiju in fifth edition. And you're like, well, I don't know. Like you could do a DM guild product and maybe get to copper and sell a hundred copies, or maybe you could make $4 million on Kickstarter. So there have been tremendous growth in the TTRPG hobby that is driven by Kickstarters. And these are just some of the ones that caught my eye. These aren't all of them. These aren't just the big ones. These are the ones that that I saw or heard about that I thought made a big difference. The Shadow Dark RPG one had a big difference for me. I'm running an entire campaign, 16 sessions into a campaign in Shadow Dark. I got it yesterday. It is an amazing Kickstarter. It is probably the best Kickstarter experience I have had, where within a year, I got a big package of a whole bunch of books, a fantastic RPG system. I'm going to be playing it from this stuff in just a couple hours. Really, really cool. MCDM's role-playing game. They are announcing theirs. They're closing in on $4 million, almost 20,000 backers. I think I'm probably across 20,000 backers for a new role-playing game made by uh, Matt Colville, James Intercasso, and others putting together their own tactical, heroic fantasy role-playing game. 
Dolmenwood, a, a classic RPG that's using kind of BX rules, similar to what Old School published, I think by the same people that made Old School Essentials. That was a big Kickstarter that came out. Shadow of the Weird Wizard by Robert Schwab. I'm really, really excited for this. I love Shadow of the Demon Lord. And I'm very eager to see what a high fantasy version of Shadow of the Demon Lord looks like in Shadow of the Weird Wizard. It's been in a lot of testing. I think it's through editing. We're going to see that coming out next year. That's something I'm really excited about. But that was a Kickstarter I was really looking forward to. It took him a long time to do the Kickstarter. Then he did it. And now it's coming out. It looks really cool. Tales of the Valiant, which is Kobold Press's fifth edition core set, a monster book and a player's guide. That Kickstarter happened. They are about or they're going to do earlier in the year a Game Master Game Master Guide Kickstarter. They've talked about that. I'm really excited for that. Nave by Ben Milton, a, a Nave 2. I actually just downloaded the digital version of that. So that was a really cool Kickstarter. Did very, very well. Another game looking at how to capture the old school feel of the game that we love of Dungeons and Dragons with a different set of simplified mechanics for building characters very quickly. Really cool. Cities Without Numbers by Kevin Crawford, who does fantastic kind of old school style games, but really heavy on world building through random tables. I love this stuff. Really, really cool. It's, yeah, Stars Without Numbers, Worlds Without Numbers, now Cities Without Numbers, which is sort of a cyberpunk variant that came out this past year as well. Gloomhaven, which was kind of a Kickstarter, did very well. That was on Backerkit instead of Kickstarter. That's also another thing we saw this year that's interesting is more people using Backerkit to launch their campaigns. Kobold MCDM is using Backerkit for the MCDM RPG. Gloomhaven Grand Festival also used Backerkit instead of using Kickstarter. That's kind of interesting. And it was sort of half tabletop board game and half role-playing game kit that did very, very well. And, and it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Crooked Moon Legends of Avantris, another big Kickstarter. D&D Shorts Rok uh, Roku's Guide did very well. Obajima, Bag Magnus Archives. Lots and lots of different really cool crowdfunding campaigns that occurred this year. And again, taking the whole hobby into new and interesting directions and funding. Now, not everybody can make an RPG and make a huge success and make hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars. But it's really interesting that a lot of independent producers and small publishers have been able to do it. So, you, you know, you don't want to hit the denominator problem, right? Which is all the things we're looking at here are numerators. What are the denominators? Who are all the people that tried to make big RPG things and didn't end up on Mike Shea's list, right? Lots of them. So it's not to say like, oh, it's way more successful now. Your, your chances of being a, of an independently funded tabletop producer are so much better now. I have no idea, but I know there's lots of good things coming out. There's lots of good products that were kickstarted this past year. I was very excited. I backed them. I backed, I don't know how many kickstarters this year. Lots of them. Flea Mortals came out. So the Flea Mortals book by MCDM, great big book of monsters, huge impact. It was my number one, no, number two. Shadow Dark was my number one product. Flea Mortals was my number two product of the year. It's just an outstanding product. I'm also cheating a little bit because I have some stuff that I wrote for it. Really, really outstanding stuff. And then we saw the Pathfinder 2 revamp. So Pathfinder, Paizo went back. They wanted to strip out all of the material that was tied to the OGL and come out with a new orc licensed version of Pathfinder 2 with some tweaks and changes to things. And that came out this past year as well. I haven't had a chance to pick them up yet. I'm probably going to pick up the digital versions. I'm not much of a Pathfinder guy. I get it all time people in comments oh you should try pathfinder i have tried pathfinder it's not really my thing i kind of like games like shadow dark that are really kind of fast and fun and easy to run that are character driven where you know you have like one action instead of three actions but i get it people love pathfinder i'm not bashing pathfinder i think pathfinder is great you don't have to put a comment in and i want to pick it up but i'm probably going to pick them up when there's some kind of bundle or some kind of deal to get the digital versions of them so we'll see what that's like
So what's next year going to be like? Well, hopefully there won't be another giant OGL-like fiasco. I don't think there can be. I know, I, you know, I, people, people are like, oh, be careful what you say. Because like you could say something, there could be another big catastrophe. I don't know. That was really, really big. Like, I feel like we're going to talk about that 20 years from now. That is going to be a permanent part of the whole TTRPG history of what happened. I don't think we're going to see something like that this year. I am looking forward to the 2024 D&D core books. I hear lots of opinions about them from many, many different areas. I hear people that are really feel like they're not going to be good. I hear, I, I tend to hear mostly negative stuff. I haven't really heard a lot of positive people that are like, oh yeah, they're going to be fantastic. I think they're probably going to be fine. And I think that's probably also fine. There's almost certainly going to be things in them I don't like. There's going to be things in it you don't like. There are going to be bugs in there that are introduced into the game. They're like, oh, yeah, I really wish they hadn't done that. Or I wish they had, if they had added three words, it would have been so much easier for this to go. One of the, I think one of the problems of the 2024 core books is thinking that they are going to overall improve the game. When what I think about is, no, they are, they're going to, it's going to be a new variant, a new version of the game, but it's also going to have its own weird idiosyncrasies that we're going to have to work through. I'm still eager to see them. And I hope it brings lots of people into the hobby. I want people to come into the hobby. I think that that's going to be really cool. I want to see Tales of the Valiant by Cobalt Press. I'm very excited to see that too. I want to see 13th Age version two by Rob Hainso and Jonathan Tweet. They love D&D. 13th Age is a fantastic system. I'm very eager to see what a new 13th Age looks like. I'm, ex I'm excited for that. I want to see Daggerheart by Darrington Press. I think a game designed around a lot of the principles that have built Critical Role will be very interesting. I'm very, very curious about that. I already mentioned Shadow of the Weird Wizard. I'm really looking forward to Shadow of the Weird Wizard. And of course, we have my own stuff. What's some stuff that happened? Well, for 2023, Forge of Foes is delivered. Not only that, it's delivered worldwide. Here's my first, the first time this has been announced. You can go into the Sly Flourish bookstore right now and buy by Forge of Foes, not in every country in the world, unfortunately. There's some countries, it's just it's getting delivery everywhere is really, really hard. Shipping is outrageously high. But you can get it in most places in the world. You can get it certainly all throughout North America, most of Europe, Australia, lots of different places you can get it. I'm very proud of that. It was a big project between Scott Gray and Teo Sabadia and myself, and we worked on this book really, really hard and managed to get it delivered this year. So we launched the Kickstarter in March, and the book was delivered before the end of the year. And that makes me very excited. Now, some of them are still shipping to places, but I've gotten lots of reports that they have gone around to many different places. And the big project for me in 2024 is going to be the City of Arches. I am actually going through my second big revision where I'm going. I've been writing this for now two years, I think. I think it's been about two years that I've been working on City of Arches. And I'm now going back and cleaning up a lot of stuff where like I had stuff I wrote two years ago that's now out of date by stuff I've wrote recently. And I want to fix that. So I'm like 30 pages out of 130 pages going through and doing a revisions on that. But I've already asked Scott Gray to come in. I'm already starting to work on some art orders. We're getting ideas for covers. So this is definitely going to be the big project that I am personally working on in 2024. I'm very happy to see patrons of Sly Flourish who have been enjoying it growing over these past couple of years and people have been running it. I hear people that have run month, months long campaigns in City of Arches. That's been really exciting. So I'm really hoping to make an outstanding high fantasy city source book for lazy DMs. That's my, that's my goal. I want to make a high fantasy city source book for lazy DMs. And I have the big benefit of so many people having their eyes on this already and testing things out and trying things out and fixing things. And 
shining it and polishing it. I think it's going to be really good. I'm very excited for it. And that's going to be my big project for 2024. So I'm excited about all this stuff. I think it is a really fantastic time for tabletop role-playing games. It really is. Like sometimes I feel like I'm kind of a downer and I'm talking about like, oh, the layoffs or, oh, D&D Beyond is going to eat the hobby and all this other stuff. But, and I, I feel strongly about all that. And I wouldn't bring it up if I didn't feel like strong, but holy cow, the hobby is better now than it has ever been. It is super popular. Lots of people have been playing it. Lots of people have been playing it. One of the things I think we lose track of is we think about it, particularly those of us who have been in the hobby for as long as we've had, we've seen ups and downs. We've seen where like it was high and then low and then high. But when you get to the point where it was five times bigger than it was ever before, which is where we were at the at the pandemic era, about the 2019, 2020, it was five times bigger than, and I'm, I'm being loose with the statistics, but it was, you know, much more popular than it had ever been. It was like, if you asked any random person how long they'd been playing D&D, most of them were saying the last one to two years. And that's bananas for those of us who were playing for 40 years. And all of those people have still had the experience of playing tabletop role-playing games. So even if like things taper down and sales aren't as strong and, you know, we don't see that big growth, you still have tons of people out there who have experienced tabletop role-playing games and can continue to experience them. You can bring them back in. We can show them other things, but they all know what that's like. They're all talking to their friends about it. I still hear friends of mine saying, oh yeah, I'm starting up a group at work. You know, oh yeah, I'm getting my kids into it. There's lots of growth here. So... There's fantastic products out there that are coming out next year. It's a really exciting time. And I could not be happier being involved in, in this hobby. I just love this hobby dearly. And I think it's really, it's going to be really exciting. 2024, I am optimistic about it. I think 2024 is going to be an awesome year for tabletop role-playing games. And I can't wait to enjoy it. Did you know I have a calendar? I have a 2024 Lazy DM calendar. You can pick this up. It is really cool. It has artwork from all of my published books, most of them from all of the fantastic books, Fantastic Lairs, Fantastic Adventures, Runes of the Grendel Root, all have artwork uh, that we have included in there. It's a really good, sturdy, really good, sturdy calendar. It's not like your flimsy sort of floppy paper calendar that's staple bound. Wire bound calendar, really good hole for hooking it up. Beautiful artwork. Like the print work is really, really good. I got permission from all of the artists to include their art in this calendar. They all were very, very gracious. It includes a tip. Every month has like a tip at the top that's taken from the top tips that I've had for, for tabletop role-playing games. Really fun thing to put together and available now. You can pick it up right now. I think you can pick it up worldwide. It is through a print-on-demand company, so it will be printed and shipped from a local place to you to get to you. So that's pretty good. And you can pick that right up on the Sly Flourish bookstore. I have a link down in the show notes. But if you want to start your next year with a bang, with some really cool fantasy artwork, pick up the 2024 Lazy DMs calendar on the Sly Flourish bookstore. 15 bucks. Really, really cool stuff. Really fun to, fun to put together. My wife and I both put this together. She did all the hard work. Let's do some Patreon questions. Our first question today is from Trick H. She says, I am thinking of running a Shadow Dark one-shot soon. Shadow Dark. I've been talking a lot about Shadow Dark. A lot about Shadow Dark, a lot about A5E. 
can tell what I love. I'm thinking of running a Shadow Dark one-shot soon with only the starter set that were provided for free by the Arcane Library on DriveThruRPG. You have been doing a grand work of going through the process yourself, so I thought I would ask you for your advice. I was wondering if you could recommend using the limited rule set, and if so, which adventure or adventure type would be best suited for this type of game? I want to get my feet wet before I buy the full set of books, and I'm hoping I can find a good starter adventure that can get me through the ropes and my players in this new style. A parallel question would be if there are any major differences between the starter set and the full books, which might disrupt or change the feel of the game. In case I was avidly listening to someone's podcast over how he was running such a campaign and wanted to take ruthlessly parts of that for my own. First of all, the starter set, which by the way, I now own, I got the physical version. Apparently I'm one of the few people who added it as an add-on. I'm like, you know what I really want is the starter set. So this is the starter set. You can get the PDF for free on DriveThruRPG. And in the Game Master Quick Start Guide, it includes an adventure called The Lost Citadel. So it has a whole adventure in it. If I were just wanting to try this out, this is what I would run. I would run what is in this this book. I would run the, the Lost Citadel because it walks you through how this all works. It is first level, so you could start at first level and you can see how that goes. If alternatively, you wanted to try the system out and you wanted to do a zero level gauntlet, you can pick up Curse Scroll 3 called Midnight Sun. And Curse Scroll 3 has a Horde of the Seawolf King zero level gauntlet adventure. And I ran this as my first Shadow Dark game and it taught me a lot about what Shadow Dark is like. It, my, my players loved it. I printed out 20 character sheets and then they just rotate through when characters died. It worked really well. That's in Curse Scroll 3. Those are the ones I would recommend. But like if you've got the downloadable one, the downloadable one includes an adventure. So you might just play a first level version of that. I have seen no differences in how the Quick Start Guide runs the game and how the core book runs the game. There are no, if there's any, I don't think there's any differences that they're, they all are the game is is exactly the same so if you're running with the quick start guide or you're running with the core book it's going to feel the same to you but that is what i would do i really like it obviously jacord says i'm a sucker for buying the many wonderful and cool new books that i will definitely use because they are so cool and such however what ends up happening is i tend to use the book for a session or two and then never use it again until the next book arrives i genuinely i genuinely like all the books i've purchased and don't regret purchasing them but i'm still having a hard time incorporating them into my prep flow any thoughts on getting the most out of your rpg book collection don't fret too much it's i i not the fact that you're able to use them for one or two sessions is more than i often do i i'm obviously i'm, I'm swimming in rpg books here both digitally and physically i've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds thousands of rpg products many of whom i barely even open and read but i do try what i do is when i get a new one uh, i put it on my desk i usually have a pdf and i put it on my desktop or i have my special shelf behind me on my reading chair and i will take that and i try to say like i'm going to spend an hour with it and i'm going to read through it and sometimes it just gives me ideas and inspiration and that's enough other times it's like oh i could really use this in my game i don't i would not worry if you're enjoying the books and you like them it, it's okay if you're not using them all all the time you can't use them all all the time there's a few things like when you get a new monster book it could be fun to say okay for the next few sessions i'm only going to use monsters from this new monster book i did that with flea mortals recently i just said for a while i'm just going to use flea mortals monsters and see what they're like i'm going to use their minions i'm going to use their other monsters in here we're going to see how that goes i've done that with other kobold press books where i'm like i'm going to use just monsters from tomo beast 3 and, you know, we have a new weird spot in the world where it would be unique monsters and I'm going to use only unique monsters from Tome of Beast 3. And that really works. Random tables and stuff, you can just sort of keep them handy. So 
I don't, the answer is I don't have one. You, what, what do you, how do you get the most out of your RPG book collection? Well, knowing what you have is really good. Reading them, going through them, spending some extra time. You know, I'll be honest, and I'm not great at this, but like any of that time that you spend digging into social media, go through your collection instead. Any of that time where you're going to go read the latest whatever, you know, nonsense of what's going on in the world, go pick up an RPG book and read that instead. Easy, easier said than done. But that's what I do. I try to keep them out and available until I've digested them a little bit and then they can go into the archives and then sometimes I grab them and bring it back. Sometimes I just don't use them again. I still think that's okay. James says, have you run Dragons, Dungeons of Drakenheim? If not, will you, will you like will you like you did with Cobalt Press Adventures complete with session prep and analysis? I'd love to see a deep dive of you in that third-party product. I want to run Dungeons of Drakenheim sometime. I don't know when I will. And probably this next year, I'm going to be focusing on City of Arches because I'm going to be working on it myself and it's the book I want to put out. So I actually want to run my own campaigns in it. Other people have been running their own campaigns in the setting that I wrote and I haven't run my own campaign. I've run many one-shot adventures, but I haven't run a campaign there. So I'm probably going to be focusing on that. One thing that, one of the reasons why I want to keep this question here is to, is to answer like, well, how do I pick what I'm going to run? And the answer is I have to really like it and I have to think it's going to be something that's going to be fun for my friends. That's more important than me hitting something that's popular or hitting something where lots of people are like, I'd love to see you run X. If my group is not into it or I'm not into it, I'm not going to waste our time running it. I, I can look back on adventures where I was like, oh, I should run this and then ran it and didn't like it. Certainly that was the case with, like I look back and Dragon, no, not Dragon Vice Bear Peak. I really like Dragon Vice Bear Peak. Rhyme of the Frost Maiden is one I regret running because it took so much work for me to run it. We still had a good time. Players still liked it, but none of us were like super eager to play it. And I was like, well, it's the new hotness. So I should run it. Descent into Avernus, kind of the same way. I'm like, well, I bought it and I have it. And it's like a big fancy adventure written by a big fancy company. I should run it. And I wish I'd run something else. So I, since those days, now an adventure really has to grab me. Scarlet Citadel. I like the concept of Scarlet Citadel. And my players were like, yeah, that sounds like fun. And I hadn't digested it enough to realize that I wasn't going to enjoy running it. And I didn't, right? I didn't enjoy running it. I wish I had run Dra Dungeons of Drakenheim. Now, the only issue is like I've run some dark campaigns recently. I don't know if I want to run another big dark campaign. I want to run something a little bit more lighthearted. And City of Arches is a pretty lighthearted. It's got lots of like sinister villainous stuff going on, but it's a more lighthearted setting. So that is kind of what I'm running. But that's how I choose what I'm going to run is that first and foremost, do I like it? And will my players like it? Do I, do I, am I excited about it? I'm not going to run anything because it is commercially hot or lots of people are saying, oh, you should run this. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pick stuff. And that's not saying that Dungeons and Dragons is isn't that way. One of my friends who has run Dungeons and Dragons, I loved it. I read it and I love it. I gave it a very high review. I'm not sure it's the right adventure that I want to run for my group right now. So I'm going to pick the one that I built myself for the next one. Rango says, I recently had to leave a game as a player because of a clash of play styles, but I think I could have handled the departure better. If a player needs to leave one of your games because they have discovered they are not a good fit, how would you, as the GM, wish them to go about it? Nicely, right? This is one of those things where, like, if you're already on your way out, you don't need to try to fix anything. And I think it's better. I had this. I've had this a few times. I've had people come and say, hey, I really enjoyed playing the game, but I'm going to be stepping away from the table. You don't even have to say why. And if GM might even not even ask, I'm not going to say, unless it was like one of my long-term players where they've been there forever. And now they're like, you know, I'm, I'm going to step away from the game for a while. I would probably say, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And then, you know, I might ask why. 
but sometimes I'll have players who kind of come in, they come in for a little while and then they realize that my style is not their style and they leave. I've seen that. I've had that happen at least a couple of times and that's fine. Right. I, I think recognizing that what you want out of a game and what the GM is running out of running for a game are not always in sync. I know I have a very particular style of play that isn't for everybody. And I'm lucky that I've had a lot of players who have played with me for years and continue to do so that it might even prefer other styles sometimes, but they're okay. They're good enough with my style that they like doing it. And I still modify the game to, to kind of support things that they, they want to do. But there are definitely people who have a different way that they might want to play my game or play an RPG. Then I run it. And I would rather that we all just agree to separate that like, Oh, you know, I'm just going to step away from the game. I don't think it needs to be that big a deal. I've had players who have walked away and then come back and then walked away and come back. Not because of the game content so much as like scheduling and everything like that. But I think for somebody to say like, hey, I've really enjoyed playing with you, but I'm going to step away from the game. As a GM, what I try to do is make sure I've got people in the wings. That that I know that there are people I could go and call and say, hey, we now have a free seat at the table. would be interested in joining us. I would like to do, you know, I, I want to have that going because I know that I can't always keep up the players that I've got because I know that life happens and, and interests change too. Maybe they're just not going to put up with stuff that they've been putting up with for a long time. So how would I like it? I would like them to just, just be nice about it. Right. And just say, Hey, I'm, I've, I've had a good time and I really want to thank you for running it, but I'm going to have to step away from the game. All right. And you know, also like if you think that the GM is sensitive to it, you could just lie. And just say, my schedule really makes it hard for me to make it, so I'm going to step away. You don't have to say, I really don't like the fact that you are changing things arbitrarily with your secrets and clues, placing them everywhere. And I feel like that is a total arbitrary game, and it's not the kind of game I want to play. I, I don't think I'd be too... I wouldn't be, because I, I don't think I would get too hurt by that. I know that there are styles that, that other people want. But there could be GMs who feel very passionate about what they do. They put in a lot of work. And I think rather than trying to criticize their work on the way out, you could just say, I'm really sorry, but the schedule doesn't work for me anymore. And really, are you hurting anybody with that? I don't think so. So that that's my, my thoughts on it anyway. The Grass Pillow says, would you have any advice on how to build more resilient stories and treats for my friends, even when they miss crucial sessions for their characters? I run a mystery spiral campaign with a monthly three to four hour game of for friends, and we're all busy with work and family. Following your advice on building a resilient group, we continue with at least three players present. I try to sprinkle character treats with plot lines and relevant secrets and clues. For example, a session set in a character's hometown. When the character can't be there, it's disheartening. I know I shouldn't fall in love with my prep, but I can't help but feel discouraged. I'm finding it more and more difficult to to weave a narrative focused on the characters when they're when they consistently fade out yeah that can be tough and one thing you can try to do is make sure not to and i'm, I'm totally failing at this by the way for my shadow dark game because i put in a bunch of stuff that's focused around one player one character and i i don't i don't know and or don't think that that player is going to be there today so that is definitely could be a, a problem one thing you can try to do is take the character focus stuff and separate it out so you don't necessarily need to run it in the next session that you could instead build some secrets and clues around particular characters and maybe try not to prep the session until you know who's going to be there or particularly know who's not going to be there. You probably have some players who are more regular than others. Maybe you can drive more of the character-driven stuff towards them. 
But if you get confirmation that somebody says, yes, I absolutely will be there, then you know that you can include some of those that stuff right in there. So I, I, I would try to separate out the character clues and the character-driven stuff until you know who's going to be at the game. But sometimes it's just going to be a problem, and that's okay. The continuity doesn't have to be perfect. Take some of that stuff and fade it away. If you're like, oh, you just find out they're not going to be here, they just take those secrets and you set them aside and you bring in the secrets that matter. And maybe if you have a bunch of secrets about different characters, you can sort of bring in and improvise from your set of secrets for the characters who are there. So that's one way to do it. But that's that's tough, and it's a it's a it's definitely a an issue that that happens. Andrea GM says, my level eight players have uh, ready access to revivify Cleric and Druid in the party and can even access resurrection for political cost. Therefore, if and when it makes sense for a boss level monster to do so, I do not hesitate to down or kill characters. This ups the stakes and makes the big fights exciting and seemingly scary. However, unconscious or dead characters mean that the players have nothing to do while they roll death saves or wait for revivify except being very nervous. Any thoughts on how to give them something to do? I know it's a big problem. I have seen it as a problem in my games. I think one of the reasons why Shadow Dark and its lethality works is that people can roll a new Shadow Dark character up in a faster amount of time than it takes for me to describe how they died. And that's really nice. That isn't true for 5th edition where it takes a long time to build characters or, or to do anything else. And if they think their character is going to get resurrected or brought back, that could be a problem. If you, if you have a way for them to operate as one of the NPCs, that might be something you could do. Give a stat block for a nearby NPC that they could run in the meantime. I've seen people do that. There's some games that have like a weird sort of your ghost is there and offering advice. I haven't really seen that, but I do, I do know. And like, I've seen it. Like I had a player once where her character died and she's like, should I go wait in the car? <laughs> and I was like, that's a good point. Like, what do you do with the player? It's one of the reasons why I'm not super hung on this whole idea that, that games need to be super lethal because what are you supposed to do with the player when their character dies? What do you do with them? What are they supposed to do? Sit on their phone? So the, you know, that it is definitely a problem. I I'm bringing up this question because I'm very curious to hear other people's answers about what do you do when a player has their character die and there's going to be some time before they can be up and running. Now, if their character is down, I think that's different. Like they, you know, you can still, that's not like they're going to miss maybe a round, hopefully, and hopefully not multiple rounds. The reason why the death save still has like you're up and running on a 20 is to give them something to look forward to and to be excited about. But also like, you know, one thing I do is I try to remind the other players, Hey, you know, your friend here is down. So I definitely try to do that. So I'm very curious about what other people do when they have the player is still at the table, but their character is out of commission for a while. What, what do you do with the player? How do you make the game still exciting for them? That's a really good question. And I want to hear more about it. So please send me comments, send me an email. Let me know what you do in your own game. And maybe this will be an article that I'll put together. But I thought it was a really good question and one that I don't have an easy answer to. Friends, I want to thank all of you for hanging out with me today while we talked about all things in tabletop role-playing games. And thank you for hanging out with me all year while we talked about all this stuff. It's been a really crazy year, a lot of things, but I'm really looking forward to 2024. I mean, it's been a great year. A lot of really awesome stuff happened this year. I'm very excited for it. And I love the hobby. And I couldn't be more excited about the hobby at this given time. So yeah, it's going to be great. And next year, we'll have our first show of 2024. If you enjoyed this show and you want to see more stuff like this from me, the best way to do so is to subscribe to the Sly Flourish newsletter. You get a free adventure generator PDF and a free RPG-related email sent directly to your inbox. It's absolutely free to sign up, and it's the best way to see all of the stuff that I do. Every email newsletter has links to all of the other things that I've done throughout, the, throughout that week. 
You can also become a patron of Sly Flourish. Patrons get access to all kinds of cool stuff. The City of Arches Sourcebook, the current draft of the City of Arches Sourcebook. They get Uncovered Secrets Volume 1 and 2. Whole bunch of tools. You saw my, the cool monster, artisanal monster database. Really fast, cool, downloadable monster database. All kinds of stuff that you get for being a patron. It's a very low price and it's a great way to support me. So if you like what I do, please consider becoming a patron of Sly Flourish. And you can pick up any of my books or the new Sly Flourish Lazy DM calendar on the Sly Flourish bookstore. All of the links for those are in the show notes below. Thank you all so much. Have a great day and get out there and play an RPG. See you next year, everybody.